Yeah. Oh, I don't oh, want to I see. Yeah, no, we're fine here. Yeah, I think this is good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Can we move your cup? Yeah. Can I move your cup? Put it right here. You want it? Yeah. Okay. Well, Thank welcome. You Thank you. Um, if you guys can both do a quick introduction of yourselves, that'd be that'd be fantastic. For sure. Yeah, so I am Monique. Hi, nice to see everybody in person. Welcome back to in person, apparently. <laughs> uh, I'm the executive director and founder of For Tomorrow. I'm going to pass it off to Laura. Hello, everyone. My name is Laura Del Mendo, and I'm the chief of staff and operations with For Tomorrow. Okay, and we'll just hop right into the presentation if that's okay. Um, so I guess today we're here to share with you a little bit more about what we do, who we are, and how we do it. Uh, we are very grateful for Kirkland's support and the partnership with the human services staff in the city. Um, a little bit about who we serve. Uh, we serve youth and individuals and families with a focus on the Latinx community in East King County. So although this is our focus, we do our best to serve anybody who comes um, calls us or comes through our doors. I almost said comes through our doors, but we don't have any doors yet. So <laughs> hopefully soon, definitely soon. Uh, again, my name is Monique. I'm the executive director and this is Laura. Uh, on the screen, you'll see some of our other teammates and community members and some of the events that we've been at recently. Um, but that's all of our, well, almost all of our staff, all of our full-time staff up there. Um, so as you can see, we've grown tremendously. Over the last few years, we actually started in 2019, right before the pandemic, really. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of growth. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, in your packets, you'll see a copy of this strategic plan. This is our most recent uh, summary of the strategic plan that our board approved. So on the left side, you'll see our mission and vision. On the top in the middle, you'll see how we plan to do some of these things um, and how we plan to achieve the mission that we've set out to um, accomplish. And that, that includes you know, reducing stigma and barriers to accessing mental health and human services, having a holistic approach to well-being and stability, listening to community needs and adjusting accordingly, and partnerships and trust. Um, under the what's next, you'll see some of the things that we're continuing growing and building this year. Um, so therapy, coordination, and life services are two are our main things, and we're going to continue to build and grow um, in all of the cities that we're in, which is all of most of East King County. We're also starting our mental health first aid classes. So we are certified to certify others in mental health first aid. So we're really excited to kick that off. And that really ties into the reducing stigma and being able to prevent crisis and suicide. Um, another what's next is office and community space, which I'm not sure if you all have heard, but we're gonna be at KTUB this year and we're really, really excited. So building out and trying to um, figure out how that's gonna look, which is really, really fun. Um, mediation and conflict training. So a lot of our community come to us and need parenting plans or need um, mediation, family conflict um, to navigate conflict. Um, so I am a trained um, mediator, certified mediator. So we are providing that service as much as we can as capacity allows. 
Um, but it's really a, a gap in the community. And that's kind of something you'll see as a theme for us as we just try and fill the gaps wherever gaps are and wherever we see them. Another thing is the For You smartphone app. Um, so that is actually something that was funded by the Digital Equity Grant here in Kirkland, which we were really happy about. Um, and we had interns working on that um, all last summer. We have developers right now working to build that database and app for us. Um, and we'll have more information about that soon and we'll kind of get into that later as well. Um, youth programming, support groups and systems change are all things that we're really building out this year. And then on the right side, you'll just kind of see a summary of our funding and just different goals um, and our overview of our team. All right, so I just thought we'd give a little bit of background on housing stability through the pandemic and how we were involved in that in King County and East King County. Um, so first of all, we participated in King County EPRAP 1.0 and 2.0 as an outreach agency, and we provided access and technical assistance to Spanish-speaking communities across King County. About 1,300 households were served uh, by us. And then next, we'll talk about Kirkland specific, so rental and mortgage assistance. We've been a part of it since CARES, actually. So we started as an outreach agency as well, um, completing packets, sending them to IAWW, and then IAWW would pay um, the landlords on behalf of the tenants. And then phase one, we shifted to sending the completed packets to the city of Kirkland, and then they sent out the checks to the landlords. So different iterations of the rental assistance program, which was really fun to navigate with this amazing team. We're really grateful for you. Um, so we completed 27 packets in that iteration, the first phase. Second phase from August 2022 to December 2022, we actually distributed the funding. So straight to the landlords on behalf of the tenants. Um, so we paid out 263 months of assistance, and that was for 19 households. So they had higher balances due to not being selected through EPROP. Um, so we were seeing and paying off those balances. And then in Bellevue ARPA, we ran um, from September 2021 to March 2023. So we just ended that program. It was about 2.4 million, a little bit more. Um, and we paid 1,475 months and served 259 households in Bellevue. So next we have financial assistance, which is um, a good partner to our mental health coordination and our life services. So currently with our financial assistance program, we can offer one month of rent to Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, and Sammamish. Um, each, each funding is different. However, with that one month, we're able to help households catch up a little bit, give them a little bit of breathing room, and also partner with other organizations who have rent assistance help to make the household whole. We can also offer mortgage and move-in as well. The move-in assistance, I think, is pretty great because that covers all move-in costs that are needed for the household to get, to get their keys uh, for their unit. Next, we have our For You Fund, which is specific to King County residents. This fund is also very unique in its, um, in its totality because it goes directly to the client, as opposed to where most financial assistance goes to a landlord, goes to another organization, business, whatever have you. And it allows that 
person, family, couple without children to do what they need to do with $400, whether it's paying off bills, whether it's um, getting their car fixed, gas, clothing, all of those things that are very hard to get from other organizations. Last but not least, we have our microenterprise project that is currently funded by the city of Bellevue. We just finished our first cohort. Our second cohort is well on its way. We're currently um, interviewing and determining which households, individual households in Bellevue are gonna be a part of it. Um, but this specific project is open to Spanish speaking households or individuals who are uh, trying to launch their business, not knowing how to keep their business going or wanting to run a nonprofit like ours. And we offer, um, a small business grant in the amount of 1,000. They get classes and technical assistance. And the requirements are that one, you have to be 18 and over. Two, your household or yourself has to be under 80% AMI. And three, you have to be Spanish speaking in Bellevue. The good thing about this is they get a full um, scope of what it looks like to run their business with the assistance of ourselves at For Tomorrow. Um, we also have um, a financial coach basically that will help them along the way. And then upon completion, they get $1,000 to continue their business. And one-on-one -on -one with CPA. Yes, one-on-one -on -one with CPA. That said, this is our life services program. Our life services program is mainly for those cities um, in East King County. So Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, Sammamish, Issaquah. However, like we said in the beginning, we do not close our doors. We don't turn off our phone um, and we don't delete emails if they're not from people or families within those cities. So anyone that needs resource navigation, anyone that needs housing stability, anyone who is unsure of where to find a resource, we will help them do that. So what our coordinators will do is they will fully assess the situation. They'll find out what it is that person or family needs. And if we can help them directly with our programs, then we will. If we can't, we help connect them with the organizations that can. And we don't just give them a list and say, you need to call these places and email these places. We will help them apply. If the application is online, our coordinators will sit with them over the phone and do all of that if they don't know how to do that. If they're having a hard time getting in touch with an organization, we will help advocate for that. We'll make the phone call, we'll send the email, and we'll make sure that they can talk to someone so they could have their needs met. About our mental health program. Um, so through this program, we serve youth and Spanish speakers, uh, but again, we serve anybody that comes to us. So coordination is one of those pieces. We help those clients uh, find providers, therapists, programs, things that can really um, improve their mental health and get them closer to their well-being goals. Um, next, we do, uh, we host psychoeducation courses. Um, so this is really to help community members understand what mental health is, understand coping mechanisms, techniques, um, therapy, just anything that has to do with mental health. And usually we take suggestions at the end of each psychoeducation course uh, for the next um, class. So these are all remote, um, they're all virtual over Zoom and they're the third Tuesday of every month. 
Uh, next, we have our gap therapy program, which really came from our community members not being able to find a therapist that speaks their language or that's within their income limit. A lot of places do have sliding scale, but there still is a copay, especially if you don't have insurance, it can be really hard to find a therapist for sustained therapy. So what we do is provide free short-term culturally sensitive therapy in Spanish. Um, so our clinicians meet one-on-one -on -one, um, over Zoom with um, the therapy clients. And um, next, uh, just wanted to let you all know, we are participating in the King County Zero Suicide Initiative pilot program. So that is a program that's been going for about a year now. Um, many agencies in King County are a part of it. Um, and we're currently building out a system to prevent suicide in King County. So um, really great work and more to come on that. Uh, and lastly, uh, we provide community with connection and tools in the face of isolation. So during COVID, it looked like um, little events. We did, we actually delivered painting kits and we had a Zoom call where uh, people kind of went through the class with us over Zoom. Now we're able to do it in person. So this um, flyer on the right side, Grupo de Arte para Mamas, uh, we're hosting that and our first cohort just started. Um, it's on Saturdays, you can see the dates there. Um, and you'll see on this slide, this was our very first class. Um, these are all mothers who have experienced loss either of children or of people close to them pretty recently. Uh, so this is one of those alternative therapies or therapeutic activities that we're hosting to really provide um, a different sense of what mental health looks like and of what seeking support looks like as well. It can look like coming together in community. It can look like, you know, therapeutic art activities. It can look many, many different ways for different people, especially considering culture. So this is one of the ways that we're providing that right now. And it's really, it's a really fun program. Um, the second cohort is actually gonna be mothers and their teens. So we're hoping to host that at KTUB if we get in this year. Um, and it'll be really, really fun. So at the end of the six classes, um, and this is a partnership with a nonprofit called ArtMa. Um, at the end of the six classes, they will run an exhibit uh, where we show all of the artwork that the moms have completed throughout these courses. Um, they're going to be working on personal growth, connecting with themselves, connecting with their history, and putting it on the canvas. So it's really exciting. Next, uh, we'll talk about some youth programs and digital media. So the youth are really, really excited about this. The For You app is the smartphone app that we're building out. Um, there's lots of ideas, lots of things happening right now. We also offered internships through that and through that work. So all of the ideas and all of the, um, the components of the app were built by the interns and now are being worked on by developers in partnership with us and the interns to make it a reality. Um, and the next piece is we provide opportunities for career exploration, either through projects like that or um, small groups. Another thing is music and art. As you can see, we're really into art and alternative therapies as well as clinical therapy and um, Western therapy. Um, but we're also into music. So we're really excited to get into KTUB and host some drop-ins and some classes with producers in the recording studio. Um, and that'll be one of the ways that we engage with youth and bring them in and hopefully 
offer other services as well. Through all of this, and we'll have time for questions at the end. So I'm sorry if we're kind of going pretty fast. <laughs> A lot to get through. Um, so next we'll talk about the anti-racism project and in your packets, you'll see um, our report from our very first, um, I guess, study. Uh, and this all came about through um, King County announcing racism as a public health crisis. So we were contracted by King County to run a study and provide feedback on the priorities that King County was setting out. Um, and that included many different things. Um, it included racism in housing or just different priorities in the budget. So this document and the feedback that we got from these focus groups really has informed how we build out our programs, what we do, how we do our work. Um, so you'll see a lot of the things that the focus groups have said are actually becoming a reality right now, like small business support um, and many of the other programs that we have. So you can take a look at that whenever you have a chance. Uh, these are some of the graphics from the program. So this was one of the um, the focus groups, Usa Tu Voz, that was the Spanish speaking one. And then Raise Your Voice was the youth um, English speaking one. And then on the right side, you'll see our flyer for the um, East King County Coalition Against Hate and Bias. So we're actively reporting stories anonymously on behalf of our um, community to King County, hopefully gathering enough data to figure out where the trends are, figure out and build out some systems to prevent those things. Another way we engage with youth, um, especially uh, BIPOC youth towards racial equity, um, anti-hate bias and discrimination um, is the BOOM program. So this was something we did virtually last year and we've been doing it virtually for the last three years actually. Um, it's in partnership with the Bellevue School District, Bellevue Schools Foundation, us, Pono Pursuits and Amazon. Uh, so we hosted these virtually and uh, it's really just a chance for representation and youth to come together in a space that's really all about them and they can talk about whatever they want. Um, so it's really youth driven and youth led. And this one was extra special this year after about a four or five year hiatus, we were able to have boom in person at Bellevue College. So this photo that you see in the middle, that is about 400 Bellevue School District students. Um, most of them identify as BIPOC, and it was a whole day for them to be together from 7th through 12th grade. So I think that was about 12, 12 schools yeah. in the district, um, and they were all able to, one, be together, and two, attend workshops that were catered towards culture, race, diversity, um, and it gave them also a chance in those workshops to talk to each other, get to know each other from different schools. Um, mind you, these are seventh through 12th graders. So none of them really knew who they were gonna be in the room with. They weren't too informed about who was giving the workshop other than the little snippet that they got when they signed up for it. But they were all very engaging. Some of them were um, classroom style. So purely listening and maybe answering a few questions. Some were interactive in two ways. There was one that was interactive where they kind of made a poem about themselves and then they read it out loud to each other. And then there was two in particular that were very interactive with like whole bodies. So one was a self-defense 
that was led by Bellevue Police Department. And then the other one was Hip Hop, which was led by the Goodfoot in Seattle. And it was just an amazing day for professionals who also identify as BIPOC in Washington to talk to youth who also identify as BIPOC and give them a little bit of insight into what it was like for them to become who they are and how these students can become who they wanna be as well. That's all we have for you. Um, if you have any questions, feel free. We're here, we're open. Thank you. Your presentation is very informative. Uh, I have two questions. Um, the first question is like, have you seen any kind of trend-wise, like between, you know, now that we're kind of getting out of the pandemic mode, back to the new normal, mm -hmm. like, are you seeing different needs? Or are you seeing different issues that, that um, that's coming from the clients that you're serving and communities that you're serving? So that's one question, my first question. The second question is from a um, funding sources perspective, um, how are you all doing? Because there's a drying up of funds as we hear it, like mm -hmm. at a federal and you know local level. So what has that been impact be like? You want to get the first question? I, I can answer the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as trends, I think what has been really big right now is that during COVID, obviously, a lot of people that were working that were deemed as non-essential were home. Um, now that the economy is kind of coming back up, people are allowed to go back to work. One of the things that we're seeing is that there are people who don't know how to be confident anymore in the workplace, or they're not able to get the job back that they had or find a job that fits with their needs now. Um, there are a lot of families, for example, who decided to keep their children home, which is a choice, right? Um, because of that, though, there aren't very many jobs that are going to allow you to work around that schedule or let you work from home. And so that's part of where um, people are struggling at this point in time. Um, that's the family side. For the individual side, what we're seeing, again, is a lack of confidence in the workplace, a lack of confidence in a, as being a person in society again. After being in their own head, in their own home for two years and not being able to socialize, they're starting to figure that, and I need to be a part of society again, but I'm still so scared. How do I do that? And that's part of where our gap therapy, our mental health coordination, and I, I feel a lot of organizations actually have stepped in to try to help that. Um, but those two, two things have been such a struggle and um, there aren't enough of us, unfortunately, to help that. But that doesn't mean that those of us that are here will stop looking for it. I think a lot of us can also say, you know, after isolation, it is really hard to get back into those social events and be in those spaces. Um, I would say anxiety and depression are definitely on the rise. So that's always something that we're trying to address and trying to be strategic and innovative about. Um, also just self-sufficiency. There was so much funding during COVID and there was so much pandemic related funding. And now that is dissipating, like you said. Um, so trying to teach people again, how to be self-sufficient, how to navigate the resources, even though they're dwindling, um, it, is, it is a challenge for sure. Um, I would say on the funding standpoint for us, we're in a unique position where we built throughout the pandemic. So we didn't have an office space to sustain. We were completely remote. We didn't have that 
you know, extra um, expense. So we were able to build our programs and be pretty efficient in our expenses and our costs. Um, everyone working from home really helped childcare. You didn't have to pay for childcare. You didn't have to leave the house most days. You just focus on work. Um, but again, I think that the rental assistance and um, those types of assistance, they are really coming down. Um, so that is a challenge that we're, we're, I think all nonprofits are kind of facing right now. As you can see from our ARPA numbers, like they're significantly different now. <laughs> yeah. So it, I would say innovation is very key right yeah. now. Um, thinking of programs and ways um, to sustain and also really listening to the community because that's where all of what we do comes from is if they tell us they need something because they don't have access to it, there's a barrier. Um, they're, they're thinking of something you know, with their friends or their neighborhood and they bring it to us, we will figure it out. We'll figure out a way and find a way to help them do that for them. Thank you. Um, the, the first one is it seems like there's so much need mm -hmm. and I was just curious from a human perspective how to not feel overwhelmed by the feeling maybe feeling uh, the potential of being overstretched and how for tomorrow uh, basically identifies needs prioritizes those needs and knows how to focus on them versus others. And the second question is um, a new population of Portuguese speaking students from Brazil. And that might be a different population of interest. And I was curious if For Tomorrow would start to work with that population or if you would have advice for other groups that might be starting up a similar journey what advice you would give to them? Yeah, definitely. So I know what you're gonna say, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so I'll, I'll answer both of them and then Monique oh, will also have things to say too. Um, so from what you're saying, feeling overstretched, being in human services in any capacity is not easy. Um, it is very mentally, emotionally, and physically draining just as it is for a community member that's coming to you. What I will say that's very unique here with us at For Tomorrow is we have become very good at shifting. Um, and the reason we have to do that is because the community dictates how we move. That's what makes us buy in for, right? Is if the community says we need this, even if we had this program in mind or this idea in mind, but the community's pushing back and saying, well, we need this first, we're gonna give them that first. And it doesn't mean that we just start a project and we don't finish it. It just means that put that on hold because there's a big need that needs to be fulfilled. And either we pull it off as a team within For Tomorrow or we pull in other entities that can help us. City of Kirkland, City of Bellevue, City of Redmond, other organizations that we collaborate with. Um, and also because we're very much rooted in mental health, we take our days too. Um, we take our 30 minutes, we take our 10 minutes, we take our hour, we take those vacations mm -hmm. because that's the only way we can show up. Uh, for ourselves, for the community, um, for our families, right? Because if we just kept going, we wouldn't be here today talking to you all. Um, so that's the my first answer for that question. Um, and thank you for asking that because that's that's really huge, and I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, second, 
the Portuguese speaking community. So funny you brought that up. We actually have a Portuguese um, coordinator on our team. She speaks both Portuguese and English. She is from Brazil. Um, and when she first came here, she's actually a good friend of mine and my neighbor. Um, but when she first came here, she did not know any English. Her husband did. And the only way she learned was she started teaching kickboxing. And it was because she had to start interacting um, with all of her clients. And when she joined for tomorrow, she was very worried about that because she knew that she was going to have to speak both. And I said, well, just like you help your clients, I promise you it's going to be transferable to helping our clients. And, and it works. Um, how we infiltrate into that community, she has a lot of ideas. Um, she just started in November. So she's been catching up um, in human services. She's never been in this situation. She's never done this. So um, she's learning how we work. She's figuring out her own flow. And she is very hungry to work with the community. And she's already asked us a couple of times. She's like, can I go? Like, can I hang up flyers? Can I talk to people? We're like, yeah, of course you can. Um, but it, it all comes with time. And so we're working it in and we will get there, but we are still open to ideas and suggestions. So if you ever have them, there's our email. <laughs> helping supervise the homecoming dance at a local Juanita High, high School. Uh, I, I realized that a lot of the staff, they, they don't know what to do because they have some Spanish-speaking individuals. Mm -hmm. But as far as Portuguese, everyone kind of goes mm -hmm. and they try their best. But it definitely seemed like there was a gap in the high school. Okay. And I think like Juanita Elementary uh, and up, there was just like a big influx of students where the mm -hmm. staff um, that we have general funding or life services or mental health programs in Kirkland or any Lake Washington. So we are excited to get out there and we've been spreading the word that we have our services available for the community in those languages. Um, and I will say, um, I think one of my favorite memories um, it, from the Lake Washington School District's um, Students of Color Conference last year was we had the Portuguese flyers on our table and one of the students came up and was like, no, I've never seen something in my language. And so I, I kind of think back to, you know, my family being immigrants and coming here and, you know, kind of being shocked that you actually see things in your language, right? So it was really a cool feeling that we were able to be there for that. And hopefully we can continue to spread that. Uh, because it is something really special when you can connect with someone without an interpreter because there's just that missing human aspect when there's someone in the middle. So we do encourage you all to spread that word. <laughs> we, we obviously know that we offer Spanish and English, but the Portuguese is still very new. Um, so feel free to give that email out, give our information out and have them reach out to us. Yeah. And I will just add um, on the well-being question for us, um, we have clinical staff. We also have clinical supervisors that supervise all, like all of our programs. So we have people to staff those really hard cases with, and we have a lot of collaboration and cross-collaboration within our teams. Um, so it's a, really, it's a really cool space to be in because you do feel overwhelmed often. 
Um, but we're not alone in it. So that's that's really exciting. And also we know that we can reach out to other organizations or the cities or, you know, we can really strategize together as a community. Um, and yeah, so I just said that. Um, first of all, thank you for the work you're doing. I think it's amazing and it's really needed. Um, something that I know that I've encountered is sometimes breaking the barrier where individuals are willing to open up and do the mental health side of it. Yeah. Um, what is different with your organization besides being available or having people that are of the same nationality or from the same background? What else are you doing? Because sometimes it takes a little bit more than just being available to actually get people to break through that cultural barrier and start opening up to someone that's not within the home or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I'd say, you know, especially in my culture, our culture, our culture, or a lot of cultures, like there's that stigma around it. So we often keep those things to ourselves and it is really hard to open up. Um, I think that our life services program and our human services really opens the door because a lot of people come to us with the financial assistance need, or I need a resource for utility bill or different things like that. And as we have conversation, as we connect a little bit more, as they see that we're trusted and they can come to us with different, all, all types of questions, all types of things, um, then that's when we start having those conversations and start letting them know, okay, we have this mental health program. You don't have to be in therapy, but we'd like to support you and your goals and feeling okay. And we encourage them to join the psychoeducation courses because it gives them an underlying like understanding or a baseline understanding of like, what is mental health? What, what does it look like? What should I look out for? And I think especially right now, what we're seeing is a lot of parents um, trying to get involved with their students' mental health or trying to understand how can I help my students? What can I look out for? Um, and trying to prevent those things. Also, there's been a lot of crises in our community recently. So suicidal ideation is on the rise and, and there's no one else to call sometimes, especially in language. Um, a lot of our families in our community are really scared of going to the hospitals because we've seen people be sent to Fairfax or different places. And that can be really traumatizing, especially when you don't speak the language or you don't know how to navigate the systems and you've never even been in therapy. You've never had a crisis situation and this is your first time. So it's a really scary thing. And we're there to catch those people who maybe have already been through the crisis, but we're really, really trying to get to the point where we're preventing them by education and getting those services beforehand. Yeah. One follow-up question. Um, like what percentage of your individuals that you're helping, would you say come to you for the mental health services? Is it a small percent? Is it a large percent? About half? It's growing. Yeah, I, I would say. say over the past, six months, it's probably grown anywhere from 10 to 15%. Um, and I will say what's so funny about their, well, your question earlier about the financial piece is that we're starting to see that just like Monique said, usually when people call an organization, it's because they need help financially. Now that they're starting to understand that that's not as big as it was during the thick of COVID, all of the other needs are coming out. Um, and I, I love that for our mental health coordination or our mental health program in general, we don't push anybody in that direction, but we do leave the door open. 
So if they only came once and they already got what they wanted and they don't want to do anything else, they don't want to continue with gap therapy, anything like that, we're not going to push that on them. But if they come back, why not? Of course, we're going to take you in. Um, and also, you know, we, for the most part, especially in life services and um, mental health together, we let the community member drive the conversation. So if one day they were talking to us about their child, and then the next day they're talking to us about their other family member, then the next day they were talking to us about themselves, do that. Mm-hmm. We never want them to feel like, you know, we just need you to focus on this and do this first and all that. Because as we all know, our minds are running a million miles a second. There are so many things in there. And now that COVID has let up and we're actually allowed to voice those now, some people don't know where to start. Um, and so we're going to let them start wherever they need to. Yeah. And I will just say our wait lists for rental assistance are growing. So as people are on the wait list, we're constantly communicating. They're calling to see where they're at on the list. Oftentimes there's nothing we can do in that moment. And so we, that's when we offer, this is what we have immediately. If you'd, if you'd like to talk with a coordinator of mental health, maybe we can help you sign up for classes. Um, it could even be as simple as helping their kids fill out the financial assistance application for the rec departments for Kirkland or for any city. But um, any of those little steps towards well-being is really what we're after. It doesn't have to look like what we think in the clinical sense it needs to look like. It should look like what they need in the moment. And I wish we would have actually added this now that I think about it. So we decided this year that we were going to send out an anonymous survey to anybody that we spoke to, whether we helped them directly with our programs or we had to refer them elsewhere. And a lot of what community members are saying is, first and foremost, they're glad that someone even picked up the phone. That's been a big problem across the board uh, for any organization um, you know, in Washington is capacity, like we just talked about, right? Like there's more people that need help than there are people able to give the help. And so them being able to hear that person pick up the phone, we've had some people go, oh, I wasn't expecting to talk to a person today. And we're like, no, we're here. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what we're here for. Uh, We also give them the ability to text us if they really need to. Um, Maybe talking and using their voice at this point in time is not an option Mm -hmm. for them and that's okay, but they still need help. So email us, text us, whatever you need to do to get the assistance we're gonna allow you to do. Um, And they are, they're just thoroughly happy that we pick up and we listen first. We will not just automatically say, oh, sorry, our program's closed. You got to go somewhere else. No, we want to hear, like, what happened? Do you want to get out of that? How can we make sure that you're completely out of it? Um, So hearing that from community is also what makes it easier to do our job. for what you're doing, had a very basic question. How do people find out about you and your services and know your number to call you, right? I mean, that's one. And the follow-up question is, do they, you know, um, there is this new 988 stuff and all that that's coming out. I'm just curious what the community thinks about it. What do you hear from people who are interacting with you? Do they see that as a resource that helps them, doesn't help them? Um, You know, so I'm just curious how that compares to what you're doing. I mean, you're providing different services, obviously, you're providing resources, you're not just doing crisis, I get that, but I'm just saying, is there any connection or 
or does the community not trust 988 and they instead trust you, right? Yeah, so um, it is difficult for a community to trust, um, especially agencies that they don't know, or, you know, even we always give out the crisis numbers um, and we remind them we are not a crisis response. We um, are a crisis recovery. Um, so there is that distinction, uh, but it is very hard for our community to trust any, you know, systems. So that could be the government, that could be the police, that could be the mental health system. So that is something that we're working on and trying to navigate it ourselves it is difficult. There are a lot of barriers. There are a lot of unknowns. Um, so we're trying to strategize that in partnership with the community. Um, but really, uh, our community finds out by word of mouth. We also do active outreach. So our coordinators are out once a week, at least, mm -hmm. um, putting up flyers around the community, going to food banks, going to schools, going, uh, connecting with family engagement specialists or equity coordinators. Um, yeah, and just partnering with organizations and collaborating. I would say that I think a lot of organizations, their saving grace was when EPROP started during COVID. So a lot of community members in numerous cities had a list of organizations that were able to do this. So that was one. Um, two, people had to get very innovative during COVID on how to continue, right, outside of financial assistance. So offering programs um, like psychoeducation classes online, offering just like open community forums that you can have with people. And then as COVID led up, getting back into the community. So attending events. Um, so in the beginning, we had a slide of like our all of our team and then some pictures from events that we've gone to. So Hope Fest, we go to um, when City of Kirkland has their health fair. Um, we do that as well. Going to the Student of Color Conference for LWSD um, and going to just any community event, actually, even the Bellevue Farmers Market, we've gone um, and tabled there as well. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's about, right? Is at some point you have to be out in the community. They want to know who you are. They wanna know that you are an actual person that they can connect with and have a conversation with. Um, and so although word of mouth is really big, being able to do things like this is the biggest part of it. Well, thank you for coming and thanks for your presentation. Um, you said you started right before COVID 2019. I mean, it is such an impressive story how fast you all have come on. And, you know, um, I just thinking like as a startup, like what you've accomplished in such a short period of time and the impact you're making. So I just, I didn't really have a question. I just wanted to thank you. You're on the front lines and, you know, uh, we have no, at least I don't have any, you know, like, I mean, it must be incredibly difficult and hard every day, just like you said, and we just appreciate you being there and, and supporting the community and the impact you're making. Um, and just, you know, I would welcome you back anytime to, you know, tell us what do you need? How can we best support you? Because um, you're making a huge difference and uh, we really need you. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank that. you for allowing us to do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the reason why we started the microenterprise project is because we want to help other people build their dreams yeah. as well. So yeah, it's really exciting. Thank you. Any other? I, I think we went over time, but yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> just a little it's bit. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for the presentation, for all the work that you have done. I've known you for since the pandemic. I was referring people to you when I was working in other groups. Yeah. And I had a lot of uh, feedback from the 
people that I referred to you about the organization. So thank you very much for that. And the question would be, uh, what do you need from us? What do you need from the cities? What do you need from the organizations that support you? I mean, you are doing the hard work. Huh? <laughs> you are the front line with the community. What do you need from the ones that are supporting your organization to continue doing what you're doing better and greater? <laughs> you it's a go good first, question. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we're really grateful for the support up until this day. I mean, it's been amazing. Kirkland was one of the first cities to really invest and believe in us. So we wouldn't be here without you all. Um, and I think Kirkland does a really good job of listening and um, being partners in the work. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing is whenever we're seeing something, it does often feel like a crisis to us. And so we need someone to come to who will listen as well. Um, so we're absorbing all of that and we're trying to put it into um, a way that you all can understand, but sometimes it is really hard. Um, and there's just so many different needs. So I guess just the communication um, channel being open is just the most important thing. And of course, continued investment in things that the community is saying they need, right? So it's not necessarily what we're saying either. It's the community. Who in the community is really missing out or not being able to access the resources that they need and why? Um, so we're open to exploring that as well um, and reaching the most vulnerable and those whose voices aren't heard. Um, and I will just say, yeah, mental health and rental assistance are the main things that we need right now. So huge, huge things. Um, while, while we do pride ourselves on like alternative coping mechanisms and alternative um, paths to well-being, I think the clinicalness is super important. It has to be still rooted in clinical support. Um, so just be very mindful of the investments as well, because there needs to be a licensed mental health professional serving these clients so that they're served equitably and respectfully and ethically. Um, and so, yeah, I would just say, keep that in mind as well as we're going forward. Um, and I just want to add, you know, Monique said earlier that we are not crisis response, we are crisis recovery. Um, but for our funders, you all are our crisis response. Um, so the fact that you even allow us to come and talk to you all, the fact that you allow us to fill out those RFPs and tell you exactly what we're seeing in our community, it is by far one of the only reasons why we get to do this. So Thank you for that open communication. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for hearing the community because that's who's literally behind us. Um, they are the reason why we keep pushing forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To the agenda would be inviting you and Amanda on to present on the city response. Or do we have time, you think? So our presentation is probably about 30 minutes and I envision there will be many questions Okay. given being in other spaces talking about the city's response to homelessness. So want to pulse the group being mindful of time. We could also push it for next month's agenda as well. We do have room. 
good day just to like see everyone in person. So I think we took a bit more time doing that, and I think that's good. So assuming that we do have time for next month, then uh, I would propose that we push this agenda item to next month. Motion or second or? Do we need a motion? I motion for that to be done. <laughs> second. I don't think we need a motion. I don't think we need a motion. <laughs> we need, we so need the notification. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Then last on the list would be uh, uh, commissioner and staff reports. So we'll start with commissioner reports as always. Uh, commissioners, any anything to report? Yes. Thank you. Uh, I am going to start attending the Kirkland Initiative. They have sessions for, you know, they are going to give like, I call it like a class or introduction on how the city works and all the different departments. And I was accepted to do that. It's going to be, it's going to start in May. It's eight sessions for one each week and on Thursday. So I think it's going to be, I think it is the first time they have this program and I think it's going to be interesting. So when I'm done, I'm going to report back to you my experience. And I hope that if you are not sure that you know how the city works as me, you join it. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Gabby. Uh, I do have one small thing to report. Um, thank you so much for sending uh, the information on the heat pump replacements program. Uh, I gave it to uh, a couple of friends within my network and uh, their organizations and, and they're very well received. So thank you. And thank you for those information and keep them coming because I don't think I don't think any organization knew about it, at least at least for my network. So thank you. Tech is having one more meeting that I know of in May, and it's coming up, and I'll let you know what, what happens. Okay. Any other commission reports? On to staff reports. Person, we're really excited about it. Yay! <laughs> we're so lucky to have you. Looking forward to it. So Melly started April 5th. She already did her introduction, so I don't need to go over the wealth of knowledge and expertise she brings to the position. But as Amanda mentioned, it's a game changer for the city. It allows us to have a resource dedicated to folks that are unhoused and being able to support all of the other systems and programs that have been doing this and have hodgepodge de facto as best as they could within their skill sets to respond. So fire, police, our community responders, um, our mo mobile integrated health unit. So we're really excited to have Millie. She has been on a whirlwind tour of meeting different staff, going out and visiting different programs. So she knows about the resources that are here on the East side. So as she's meeting people and connecting with them, she can kind of sense what's a good fit. So she's drinking from the fire hose a little bit. Um, She's had a busy couple of weeks, but we're so delighted to have you and just so grateful to have your wisdom and expertise in this space and enhance our team. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Great. 
And then my other update was we sent out a poll for scheduling the joint city council meeting. So it's something that we try to do um, during the off year at the end of the year. Um, so you'll have a chance to have some FaceTime. You'll literally be sitting right here with city council sitting here and they want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear what you heard and they want to know, you know, kind of what they should be looking for going into a budget year. So the runner or the front runner um, was October 3rd. So as Annie mentioned in the email, it's on city council schedule. So it is not going to be the same cadence as a commission meeting. So we could either choose to, you know, cancel that meeting in October, or we could just have two meetings that month. But right now we do have October 3rd locked in. So when we do joint meetings, it's part of the study session component of a city council meeting. So it's from that 5.30 to 7 range, and they will want it to be in person. Um, and I think just kind of being able to have this conversation tonight kind of speaks volumes around being able to have that conversation in person. So if that's like a, I cannot do that date, is there another date option? If you can let us know by the end of the week, the study session dates do get booked out pretty far in advance. So we want to be cognizant of making sure we have that time saved. But right now we're locked in for that date. So yeah. Bonding. We appreciate it. Reports, then I would love to entertain a motion to adjourn for tonight. So moved. Right, do I hear a second? Second. All right. We are meeting is adjourned at 824. Thank you.